Welcome to this exclusive interview with environmental consultant Amanda Smith, produced by Transparent Media Truth. This episode was recorded on October 13, 2020. As the government-imposed COVID-19 pandemic lockdown measures continue with no end in sight, many of us are beginning to question how much longer we can rely on the government-corporate complex for the necessities of life. With more information surfacing each day concerning the plans and preparations of organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum, we must begin to ask ourselves if these billionaire-funded NGOs have our best interests at heart. Notions that were once considered by most to be outlandish conspiracy theories are quickly becoming the everyday reality for the vast majority of humans on the planet. Though leaders at the WHO have recently asked the world to end the lockdowns, and the CDC just revealed that COVID has an infection fatality rate of just 0.14%, government and corporate leaders seem undaunted in their drive to implement unprecedented social changes in order to assuage fears stoked by an out-of-control mainstream media campaign. Many of these changes include constant surveillance in the form of contact tracing, forced vaccinations, and complete dependence on the state for all the necessities of life in the form of universal basic income. We are told that a great reset and a fourth industrial revolution is required as much as the need for human labor is replaced with robotic technology and the implementation of 5G networks across the world. It is no wonder that many of us would rather just opt out. Our guest today is one of the many choosing an alternative path to the one preferred by the predator class and is exploring the idea of creating a self-sustaining intentional community, fully capable of providing the food and energy needs of people seeking to unplug from the corporate government matrix. Tune in as we discuss the overall vision of her project as well as dive into the trials and tribulations of setting up an intentional community. Find out more about Amanda Smith's project at the Activated Earth Code's Facebook page and write theactivatedearth at gmail.com for more information. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKenty. Find out more about my show, The Shift with Doug McKenty, on YouTube and Facebook, at McKenty on Twitter, or at www.theshiftnow.com. As always, I'd like to thank producer Rob Rubin for putting this episode together. Find all the episodes of Transparent Media Truth on YouTube, at transparentmed1 on Twitter, or check out transparentmediatruth.com on the web. If you like what you're hearing, please click the like and subscribe buttons and share this episode with friends. We rely on listeners like you to distribute this information. Enjoy this conversation between myself and Amanda Smith. Hey everyone and welcome to this roundtable exclusive interview I'm doing with Amanda Smith of Soil Harmonics today. She is interested in starting an intentional community and that seems to be a more and more a common thread uh, among those of us who are listening to some of these uh, alternative ideas in, in news in terms of uh, what's going on with the coronavirus lockdowns and such. A lot of people are just starting to think about living off the grid. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Amanda, and uh, thanks for your work on this. I think a lot of people are going to be interested in this topic these days. It's really picked up some steam. So do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself and, uh, and your idea? Yeah, so my uh, my backstory is basically in in science and spirituality. I started with just regular textbook learning in university. I went to UC Riverside 
way back in the day, <laughs> 90s. And uh, I did uh, my science degrees in environmental science as my undergrad. And then I did a master's in soil chemistry, which took me into the world of um, pesticide residue analysis. I worked with gas chromatographs and uh, did that in Idaho for the University of Idaho. Uh, but really wanted to come back to California, so chose the San Luis Obispo region, went to work for an environmental laboratory, which was really uh, very unfulfilling work. So I switched completely to massage therapy, which took me down this whole spiritual rabbit hole that I enjoyed for about 10 years or so, but didn't enjoy being poor so much. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I couldn't even afford to get a massage for myself. Um, so I uh, I opened my own laboratory with a friend, and I've been doing that for the last fourteen years. I have an environmental laboratory where we deal with wastewater and uh, drinking water analyses, but it was still, you know, not really. It, it wasn't really what I wanted to be. I realized it's all about analyzing uh, problems, but not offering solutions. And I continued to pursue my learning and discovered amazing things that the earth does, uh, like the soil food web, totally the plant and the soil, totally in control of nutrients and their own health and really not necessary to add amendments or to use fertilizers or pesticides as long as you do things the way the earth does it, which, you know, took me into the world of permaculture. And I ended up taking three permaculture design courses and just fell in love with this holistic way of being with the planet. But what I realized is permaculture doesn't bring into uh, its teachings, the earth connection, land connection, because they're trying to appeal to a broad spectrum of people. So they don't really, they don't really go that direction. And that was something that I wanted to do. And that's what I have started doing is I teach, how can you, how can you connect with the land, be in your proper connection with the land, experience more flow in your life, and then coax out of the earth what she has to give rather than taking from the earth in a way that doesn't make sense. So there's this dual application of science and spirituality when it comes to growing food. Mm -hmm. And I can remember 20 years ago, for no particular reason, on my way home from work and thinking to myself, you know, I really need some land. <laughs> and the next currency of the world is going to be food. And we need food safety. And I can remember tucking my kids in when they were little and thinking, you know, I need to, I need to understand how to work with the earth and be sovereign with the earth so that they have a future. And now they're all grown and they, I have three grandchildren and now I'm thinking about my grandchildren. It's just really timely right now. And there are so many things going on here in California that are making it, um, necessary for mm -hmm. us to really reclaim our right to connection with the earth because that's where all of the resources come from 
And if we just had that connection, nobody would have to starve to death. You know, that's the whole goal is to create a food network where food is free. Will you clarify just a little bit um, what you mean about the earth connection uh, as opposed to just um, the typical permaculture uh, courses that you might take? Like, what are you talking about um, adding to permaculture that, that creates a stronger earth connection? Yeah, I can do that. So um, there's a lot of teaching in permaculture just around how to be diverse, how to plant diversely, how to, to work with nature in a physical way. However, we are actual spiritual beings, you know, having a physical experience, you know, unless you want to get into quantum physics and then everything is spiritual. <laughs> so right. um, we often, we what we do traditionally, when we think about connecting with a higher power, it's always going up. You know, we go up there's no going down, you know, the earth is what's down. And mm -hmm. in order to be in proper connection, we need to be connected on both ends. And that actually completes our circuit. And you can, you can even look at um, measurements uh, of people's energetic vibration, whether when they're touching a computer and when they're not, and then when they're grounded touching the computer, and when they're not grounded and touching the computer and being grounded actually completes our electrical circuit. And, and I view these things as spirituality, but I can talk the science on it all day mm -hmm. because I, I know that that's something that people like to hear. You can measure it. It's measurable. And being in that connection makes us healthier, gives us more balance. And when I say all the resources we need come from the ground, I mean all the resources that we need. So even things like time or money, abundance, you know, flow, everything that you need to make your life easy and receive that which you need in order to fulfill whatever your purpose is. So um, the earth is the divine feminine and the above the sky is the divine masculine and those things need to be together. So I, I hope that that makes, that makes sense. Sometimes that's not something that people have considered when they think about how to make their lives easier, but it will when you do that, when you are in that connection. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, why don't we go into more detail about this, um, this sort of combination between science and spirituality. Um, I, I, wrote to you in the email i've done uh tai chi i'm pretty familiar with the uh, traditional chinese way of describing things but for a lot of people that have just been raised inside the western paradigm you know of course even the word spirituality kind of blows their minds or any talk of energy work you know yeah. seems to be outside even though um i'm with you i think that uh, plenty of examples especially as western science progresses i think they're pretty much just um discovering or rediscovering what all of these uh, older wisdom traditions have to offer. So, um, but yeah, you know, just explain a little bit maybe about the internal system and, and what you mean about this, uh, this um, connection between spirituality and science. Okay. Um, so the ancient peoples, what all they had was observation. So they would observe what was going on. And their frame of reference is a lot smaller than ours. And they had a connection to 
how things were created through often their leaders. You know, leaders were often considered to be divine. And in working with their leaders and then and then having their leaders when they die, they go to this back to this divine place. They have a connection to spirit, to that which we might consider as magical, which now I look at when I look at, at quantum theory, it's simply, you know, when we begin to observe, we are creating what we want to create. So um, combining spirituality and nature, I mean, combining science and spirituality when you look at nature is really important because nature is showing us how to be. Nature is showing us how to live more easily. That's the spirituality. And then the science part is just simply the observation. So science often gets confused with a list of facts. And mm -hmm. science is really just a way to observe what's going on and then try to explain what you think that means based on your observation. But observations can always change because you might broaden your horizons. So I want to just back up a second and try to be more clear with what I'm saying. And that is that we can't separate the essence of the, the things that we work with because we are one living organism, the earth and all of her parts and all of the people and all of the animals, all of the plants. We are a working organism with uh, an energetic field and we're all part of that energetic field and what we decide to put into it or receive from it. That's the spirituality part. It actually gives us more control. So when you go back to the ancient people, they had more control over their own co-creative process because they believed in that divine connection. Mm -hmm. And now we don't have as much co-creative control over what happens to us because we don't have that system in place. And that's when, when you start to look at how things work, if you could just empty your mind for a moment and, and go to your beginner's mind, then you could open to more realities than we actually think there are. Does this, does this make sense? Do you feel like that completely answers that question? Yeah, yeah. I know, I know where you're going with this. I mean, um, you know, I think that's a really good point to bring up about this idea of control, because a lot of people, I think, in the modern era have ceded control to these authority figures, mm -hmm. whatever they call them. And, um, and actually, it's not even, you know, in so many ways, uh, there's big agricultural cor corporations, so they're taking our food supply, we're reliant on these big corporations or the government for our energy supply. Um, so, you know, most of us are just sort of having faith in this higher power that they're going to take care of us for ourselves, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and what you're describing is having more of a relationship with the land um, that actually brings control over these things into your own person as a result of having this kind of relationship, huh? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems, you know, like a kind of a, just a, a fundamental concept to the idea of liberation, um, being liberated from these authority figures. I think so many of us, I mean, I, I'm, I think like you, where uh, I've wanted to live in a, in a sustainable situation in a sustainable community for a long time. And 
spent about a year around 2004 in Colorado trying to do just that. Um, and it's remarkably challenging, actually, to make such a big lifestyle shift. Um, I mean, has that been your experience? And then I kind of came to realize what you're talking about, too, though, is that having that lifestyle where your work uh, kind of directly correlates to the food that you eat um, and the quality of your living, uh, it, it transformed my um, my vision of what life could be. I mean, it was actually quite um, shocking how different it was from, you know, waking up in the morning and going to work to waking up in the morning and, and working on the garden that was going to actually result in the food that I ate, you know, throughout yeah. the day. <laughs> yeah. So in regards to what you asked, uh, you know, how, how challenging has it been for me to be, uh, I guess, off grid is the new mm-hmm. word of saying it. I am so not off grid. It's incredibly frustrating. Right. And um, I'm, that's part of why, you know, I'm asking people to join me in this effort and uh, help me help them, uh, especially help California right now, because we can't keep burning down like this and we don't have to. And we can't keep going through drought like this and we don't have to. There are ways to mitigate these things. And um, I really want to be more uh, more sustaining and receiving resources from the land. I'm very distracted by my, my laboratory business. And I've just reached a point where I can no longer... I can no longer stay with that as my main focus. So I, I am definitely... I'm working more and uh and connecting more and networking more so that i can make this shift mm-hmm. and when you speak about you know your food and where your food come from, comes from imagine if the food is created when it's in that proper connection you know the the person that's planting it and growing it is in that proper connection and how amazing the food could be and when it's uh, also raised without uh, pesticides and herbicides and artificial fertilizers because right now our our plants that we eat often don't have all the amino acids they're supposed to have because the soil is dead. Mm-hmm. So the plant doesn't have what it needs. And I'm kind of like going off on a li- some other little tangent here, but uh, that's just what came to the forefront of my mind when you compare um, being off grid and being working with nature instead of polluting yourself in some way with um, you know all the poisons that are in the air and sure. in the ground. Um, then we all get to be more whole. So I do want to get to that for sure. I'm just not there because I'm. I'm in my own transition process. Uh huh. What type of like facility are you envisioning? How many people maybe are you looking for to to live in this kind of situation? Right now, I am thinking of to begin uh, five or six. Mm-hmm. I need a farm manager. I have somebody in mind. <laughs> it's just a matter of coaxing her to come and join me. I need a farm manager and uh, I need people to help me with workshops and people to help me maintain the land. And while we are transitioning, there have to be people who actually who work. You know, we have to 
support the the system that we're in as we move out of the system that we're in, which means somebody has to earn money, somebody has to pay the taxes on the property. Mm-hmm. So yeah, five or six right now, but my goal is uh, eventually maybe between 20 and 30. Have you got uh, a piece of property in mind? I do. I have a couple of places uh, that I like. And the, one of them is is about 110 acres. It doesn't have a very good living situation, but it's a perfect piece of property. And I really love it because it has all of this amazing wild zone. It has uh, constant water. It has an annual spring. It has an annual creek. It has bottom land. And the house is where it should be. Uh, a lot of lots of times people don't realize the house should be midway up the hillside. Everybody wants to build their house on top of the hill, but water doesn't flow uphill. So midway, right. <laughs> midway on the hillside, that's where the house should be. And then the food should be at the very bottom, which is where that bottom land is. There's about 20 acres right there. Um, that is perfect. It'd be a perfect place to get a regenerative type of growing uh, scenario going. So um, that would be a mix of mm-hmm. plants and annuals, perennials, trees. And I would probably do row crops somewhere else. Do you have any thoughts about uh, incorporating any kind of animal husbandry? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I want goats. Definitely want goats. I would love to have also uh some alpacas so mm-hmm. that we can uh make our own clothes, do some weaving. Plus I've heard they're really great at uh guarding the chickens and the rabbits. So yeah. they're they're good watchdogs. <laughs> yeah, so, we have we had uh, llamas at the place in Colorado, actually, and also another uh, really nice um, fact about those animals is that they they co- they collect their manure all in one place, so it's really easy to harvest for fertilizer. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I would want to use for fertilizer. Obviously, you could mm-hmm. even compost it. You know, you could compost it and create some good um, microbiology. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you, in terms of the the soil harmonics aspect of what uh, of what you're doing, how would you build uh, the soil? And what, you know, would it be your goal to to have everything? I know uh, some places go so far as to have uh, zero inputs from anywhere outside the property. If the property is big enough, you can do that. And yes, as far as building soil, uh, the way to do that is where you have uh, where you don't have any topsoil, the best thing to do is to completely throw down a bunch of cover crop and mulch it right before it rains and definitely cover it with some compost tea. And uh, compost tea is, um, it's full of the the soil life that you need to support the plant. So depending on what you want to grow, you're going to have a, a, a different recipe for bacteria versus fungi. Mm-hmm. But I've done that. I've done that in other places, and I have created um, six inches of new soil structure in one season from oh, basically nice. almost nothing. Yeah, 
Yeah. So that doesn't mean total like six, six inches of topsoil, but six inches of structured soil, meaning it now has pore space. Mm -hmm. So when soil doesn't have pore space, then you can't grow anything in it. It should be 50% pore space, room for air and water. So I, I use a penetrometer to check. So you push with, you push into the earth with this and it will register a certain amount of PSI. And if it goes into the red, then you know that you have compaction. Uh, if it stays in the green zone and keeps going in while it's in the green zone, you have aerated soil. So I've done that in one, one rainy season. Nice. What can yeah. you do to, to help with, are you, would it be like a no till situation though? Can you increase aeration without tilling? Yeah, you can. Uh, the the soil food web, which I love to talk about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's like what changed my whole life. Uh, somebody asked me to to present uh, the soil food web to one of our permaculture design courses. And I said, sure, I can do that. Yeah. No problem. And then I discovered that it was this whole thing that I never learned about in school. So uh, yeah, it changed my life. <laughs> I really appreciate that that person that uh, opened me up to that. So, what happens in the soil when there's no, if there's nothing growing on it and it's totally compacted and there's nothing living in it? When you start to add some compost tea, put the cover crop down, put mm-hmm. some mold over it, it gets time to heal and bacteria start to grow. And bacteria, they emit all this gooey stuff that starts to pull the soil along and creates little aggregates, little clumps of of soil, which then opens pore space. And then that gives room for the fungal life to also move in, which also opens more pore space. And when you have that, then the plant can root more deeply. And then you have a well-structured soil. And it's as simple as that. That's all it takes. You, you don't have to do any work except for the initial putting on of the nutrient. You might have to do it a few times, but uh-huh. it, it knows what to do on its own. All right. That's good to know. I have that problem. I'm adding a garden uh, at my house right now. And um, I'm, I've just been, I wanted to do it no till. Cause I, when I lived in Colorado, I did a lot of ditch, a, a lot of uh, double digging. and I kind of like man you know now now I'm a little older and wiser and I'm thinking maybe I can figure out how to do this without uh, that much physical labor because farm work is hard enough so learning how to use uh, you know what's there in nature to do that labor for you is uh, is really helpful (laughs) in the the long run is a lot of work I've done that and that is a lot of work and I know there are certain permaculturists that they go, no, they just say no to double digging. They won't do it. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why, because it doesn't really fix the problem. In fact, what it does is it, it churns up the soil, you know, it turns it over. So whatever moisture you had in the ground is now on top and you're going to lose it. And, uh, it it just it also tears up whatever a uh, fungal hyphae you might have had in the ground as well. You know, I can see it being utilized as a one-time thing, but then you got to hit it really hard with the stuff that it needs and yeah. and let it do its thing. 
So do you make the compost tea? Would you use uh, earthworm castings for that? Or, or, uh, cause I'm a big fan of the earthworm and I, I just started my, um, my earthworm farm. So all of my, uh, all my food waste is going to feed the earthworms now in a, in a couple of months, I'll end up with some quality castings. <laughs> so it takes some time, but I'm letting the, like I said, letting the earthworms do all the work for me this time around. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I partner with somebody who has a huge vermicompost business. It's all Great. worm castings. Yeah. So we, we partnered together. I wouldn't have to make my own tea. I would definitely love to start making my own tea when, you know, when I get this farm and we start to do things on site, Mm -hmm. but to begin with, I know that she would just, she'd just come in and she'd help me with all of that. Oh, great. I, I, I like the worm castings also, and it's a nice way to get rid of all of your food scraps. Mm-hmm. Do you, when you're making the compost tea, do you feel, do you need to add a little sugar or do some aeration? You just put some compost in water. How do you make it? Well, sugar is kind of controversial. It does cause uh, a huge, uh, you know, onslaught of bacteria to grow. It might be too much and then they'll start to die off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that trying to think it, it isn't actually sugar that they use but um maybe a little uh, molasses yeah molasses thank you mm-hmm. i knew it was something like that so the if you want to make a high bacterial compost tea then you could use a little molasses but often what's used can be a mixture of like fish hydrolysate you know some uh, some blended fish. Um, you can use some uh, some other types of food that will uh, grow bacteria a little bit faster. Maybe not something as sugary as molasses, but mm-hmm. um, you can. There are different uh, grains that you can use. I believe. I think that uh, um, my person. I'm not. So I'm not an expert in making tea. I understand the science of it. Mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm not an expert in making tea. That's why I needed, I need a team. So I can't be in charge of everything. I want to teach. Sure. All right. And what do you, will, will the workshops be focused on uh, the, the permaculture gardening aspect? Yeah. Yeah. And really observing the land and asking what it's good for and then enhancing it and creating an ecosystem. So. Um, what I specialize in for myself is how to build an ecosystem, how Mm -hmm. to heal the soil and then build an ecosystem on top of that, which is diverse planting, um, finding out ways to keep water on site. So you want to have run on instead of run off. So it's keeping water on site, keeping water in the ground planting appropriately and planting diversely so that you have all the things that you need and we can bring back uh, bring back the stability that comes with diversity mm-hmm. do you envision doing a little bit of like wild crafting on the property or would it all be sort of within one uh, like a large garden facility so I would like to do a lot of wild crafting mm-hmm. yes okay great like yeah uh, I am also, I also like to have my year round greens. So I would be into having some aquaponics. Plus you can, um, you can have clean fish that way 
I'm not so sure how clean the fish are around here, mm-hmm. considering there's so much radiation coming our way from Japan all the time. Sure. And the so, mercury. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And that would include also uh, t- taking care of the forest. So bringing diversity back to the forest. So part of our issue with losing our forest to all of these fires is because we don't have understory. It's just, it's dry grasses and they catch fire. And then if you have dead limbs on the trees and everything just goes, I've seen some properties with super healthy understory and I find it hard to believe that they would burn as fast. Plus it creates more rain. So trees and a healthy, um, healthy forest zone create more rain Mm -hmm. which i'd love to talk about if you want to know how that happens yeah oh yeah absolutely (laughs) okay so i mean this is why this is one of these things that i want to teach in workshops and i want to bring people in who know how the earth takes care of herself in that are specialists in in Mm -hmm. this way but as far as trees go you know they bring water up through their trunks to the branches goes out their leaves and attached to this water or rather the water is attached to it that you know that smell that pine forest smell mm-hmm. that is all of the volatile organic compounds that are coming out of the tree and the water particles are attached to that so water doesn't just form a cloud it needs something to condense on so that's either going to be particulates in the atmosphere um, metals in the atmosphere or VOCs, volatile organic compounds from trees. So trees Mm. emit those compounds with water droplets on them. They go up into the atmosphere and grab more water particles until you end up forming a cloud and then it rains. That's fascinating. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I mean, those, right, right, the, the volatile compounds are the terpenes and they're actually oils, but, and so the oils create a particulate that will help the, uh, help the water condense and, and end yep. up helping with cloud formation and all of that. That's crazy. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. And part of our problem here, you know, I live right here on the coast um, and we don't have, we don't have coastal oaks. Mm-hmm. So they've all been cleared and the cattle run all over the place instead. So this is prime location for moisture off the ocean to come in over these trees and create a cloud and then it will rain inland and then the cycle keeps going and it can go in like 900 miles so you know the valley i I drive through the valley and it's so dead so the central valley the san joaquin valley is what i'm speaking of it's so dead um it's just they grow a lot of almonds and then there's no there's nothing growing in the soil except those almond trees yeah and that used to be this lush grassland uh when people first migrated this direction that's what they saw was this giant grassland full of water full of elk you know antelope and everything that lived out there and it should be raining on on the central valley and it doesn't because we don't have our coastal trees and now we have even fewer because santa cruz burned down and that's also what's keeping you know the the snowfall in the sierras from creating snowpack that then what then it travels down into the valley. So that needs to be put back. 
and this is one of my my goals. You know, I would love to save this state from all of the things that are happening to it that are really they're really tragic and devastating. And our food system relies on California, mm. and we need to we need to take charge of it. That's a big major portion of why I'm starting this movement is to fire people up to take charge of their food and to help change our climate back to what it should be by treating it the way nature needs it to be. Mm -hmm. Would you have a, like a pond on the, on the property so that you could, I mean, I've always, if I was envisioning my own, you know, my own place, <laughs> um, I always thought it would be really fun um, to make sure that you know, I could have a pond and, and really work on that recycling water all the way through the property. Uh, so the that property could, that I like actually has uh, two pond areas on it. One that is cool. there all the time and then another one that is annual. Mm. So my, one of my goals definitely is to keep water on site no matter, no matter what. So if we're using it to irrigate somehow, uh, keep it on site. If we're using it to, to wash dishes, keep it on site, run it through reclamation type of process. Absolutely. Um, that makes me think of what you asked a while back about would I want to take resources from, you know, off site, uh -huh. which, Ultimately, I would like everybody who lives there to receive everything that they need from the site. Maybe not everything you want, but everything that you need yeah. from the site. And then it's it's about teaching people who come to learn how to grow in a regenerative way to take that back home to where they are and create their own farm. And then we connect up. We create this huge network. and are able to share different types of resources and different types of food, different types of knowledge. And that could include um, if somebody is growing something in a region that we could actually make clothes out of, then we could share that. And ultimately too, if I can offer scholarships for people that want to do this, that would, that would make me so happy. <laughs> Yeah. That, would make me, that would really make me happy is to be able to offer scholarships to people so they can do this. Uh, and then we stay connected and we just build and usurp this, this archaic food system that we're in that depends on systems that truck things in from far away or systems that grow food in an unsustainable way. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty actually, uh, it's amazing to think about um, creating a food system where there were just uh, hundreds and hundreds of self-sustaining farms and communities like this one that created an overflow of abundance and could sell uh, the excess food into the major metropolitan areas or even apply some of these techniques. Uh, I mean, one of the ideas that actually fascinates me is is just having everybody in the suburbs take their backyard and turn it into mm -hmm. a garden. And if the communities actually collaborate, it's pretty amazing what you could do with the ecosystem of of your neighborhood and supply food for everybody that lived there at the same time. And and uh, you know, liberating yourself from this larger corporate system that, as you say, 
just transports the food thousands and thousands of miles in some cases uh, and delivers a subpar product compared to to the kind of nutrient-dense foods that you're going to grow for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't have any sort of limitations on how much space anybody has. And I've already talked to certain people that they all they have is a yard and they want to be part of that network. And and I have a friend who uh, has a, a pretty large backyard, but it's probably maybe like an eighth of an acre space that she has. Mm-hmm. And she's growing a lot of food in there, more food than she can eat. So it's it connects everybody up. And also what I love about uh, about urban gardens is that you can create all of these insectaries that then connect with each other. So when I say insectaries, you plant uh, the types of things that butterflies and bees would like and other types of pollinators. Mm-hmm. And here in where I live in my town, my yard is is a meadow right now. That's what I have time for. I'm not growing a lot of food. I have trees. I have fruit trees, which don't take a lot to take care of. So my yard gets bees and butterflies. I have monarchs, and I don't see them in other places. Oh, wow. So uh, what that does is it supports this bigger agricultural commercial thing across the highway from me with pollinators. I don't see them out there growing flowers, but I am. And I have a lot of bees and butterflies. And that's something that I'm, I would be excited to offer to people who don't have a lot of time, but they have some space. And the meadow, once it gets going, it just, it, it just repropagates itself ongoing. Yeah. Would you do beekeeping on the property, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, all those things. I, I, want, I want it to be... Uh, I want it to be as much of a closed ecosystem as possible. And we do, we need the bees. Mm. They would come anyway. You know, they, they would come anyway if we, if we plant the right things, but we could have more if we did some beekeeping and we could also share some of the honey, which is also good. And I don't eat regular processed sugar. So uh, honey is an awesome thing to have. Yeah, for and sure. It's, really, it's antibacterial and antiviral, and it's really good for you. What about the grains? I guess my experience when we were uh, really trying to do it back in the day, um, you know, we were able to grow all the greens and and a lot of the vegetables that we needed. We even grew a lot of tomatoes. Um, but the hardest part was the was the carbohydrates, like the bulk carbs, and we would buy we would buy those in bulk. That's how we kind of stocked up. We had goats, so we had goat milk, and we could make cheese. Um, and uh, and then of course we had everything out of the garden. But doing the grains was actually challenging. Have you thought about this? I mean, you know, growing grains that are that you can grow enough of and then process on site is was just one of the biggest challenges that we ran into. Yeah, that might be something where I actually have to connect up with somebody who that's all they do. Mm-hmm. And there are people here in this area that that do that. So there is one grain grower here who exclusively dry farms and and they're they're growing ancient grains. So it's not wow. just it's not wheat. Um which is my preference anyway because um wheat has been uh, changed to have like this huge genome that it didn't used to have and our bodies haven't adapted to it. 
So uh, we have a person in uh, Los Osos who grows ancient grains and he has a perfect spot for it. You know, he has uh, just all of this open land and he has a lot of acres of ancient grains out there, but he also, he plants with, uh, with different types of flowers and insectaries. And so he keeps it as diverse as possible. Um, and then the other person grows in inland more in Paso Robles, anywhere where he can convince somebody to let him, to, to let him grow. He hasn't, because he's exclusively dry farming, he's been having some troubles in the in the past couple of years with actually having a viable crop. But we have resources here. I want to try, though. I would love to try. The, the space that I'm looking at has a good location for row crops. So I would love to play around with it and see what's possible. Yeah, I mean it's challenging, but it's uh, but it's certainly not impossible if if you can put your mind to it. it it's um... I wish there were more examples of these around. I mean, so many people right now, especially, are, are into the concept. Um, and there's a little bit of a learning curve, but it seems like once you got the system set up and rolling, it, it'd actually be just remarkable uh, how efficient the whole thing would be. I guess uh, my next question would be about what we what we used to call integrative farming, where, and you, you alluded to this already, but where the output of one becomes the input of another part of the farm. Um, and then even that uh, if you had sort of almost like multiple small businesses, I mean, there's income opportunities. Like you talk about, you could have your vermiculture farm that sells uh, earthworm castings and then, you know, grow a little extra food and do the farmer's market or, you know, make an, a little extra compost and sell the compost. And, and the inputs to each one of those is, is the, you know, the, the waste product is going into the next thing down the line. Um, have you, uh, you know, you're thinking about a setting something like this up, you know, just in terms of the broader plan for the property? Well, the, the broader plan for the property is, you know, as we have been talking about is definitely to get it so that we have all of the resources that we want to have right there on site. So mm -hmm. build it up so that we have the bees, we have the uh, natural fertilizer from either the goats or the alpacas or the llamas even. I know some people who have llamas around here. It would be easy to get those. And uh, ultimately, what I'd like to do is, is share the food. It, we share the food. The food is free. Uh, and the way we the way we create income is through the workshops. Okay. So is coming learning having this experience of being land connected, uh, learning how to be at peace, learning how to listen to the land, learning how to grow on the land the way it is, and then uh, and then taking that and doing that for themselves. Uh, but all of those things would be there. I'm not opposed to maybe taking some food to farmer's market, but I wouldn't sell it on site because there are just too many, there are too many obstacles to that and too many regulations. And as soon as you do that, then you, you have to have permits. And um, if you cook anything, then you have to have a permitted kitchen. You have right. to have handicap available, everything. Not that I wouldn't make it so that the handicap couldn't come. It's just that then you get inspected for all of these things which I'm already in that business as it is. Yeah, yeah, it's expensive. Get away from that. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get away from in inspections and certifications. Yeah. So I feel like offering the workshops and, and the experience and 
the learning and the wisdom um, around the hidden science, learning some of the hidden science of water, of soil, of of all of our uh, systems that work together on the earth. Right. That's really what I want to be selling. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you bring up all of the certifications and and uh, the permits and all of that. There's so many barriers to entry for small farmers that it's a really challenging business to get into. It's unfortunate. I think it's one of the main reasons why more people aren't doing it and why the corporate, well, of course, the corporate guys are doing such volume too that they're you're never going to be able to do it at such a low price, um, even though people should pay a little bit more for the quality of food that you're going to grow in a situation like this. So. Um, you know, it's just one of the things, there's a political aspect to this too. If we want to see these kinds of movements grow, we should be lobbying the governments to make it easier to get started. Right. Right. But for them, it's not, you know, it's not about, uh, it's not about feeding the people. So for me, it's about feeding people. Right. For a big farms and for government, it's about making money. And I think making money is great. You know, all of us deserve to have, you know, as much abundance as we can imagine. However, the problem with the way our economic structure is, is there's there's no actual goal. It's just an ever upward spiraling infinite thing. If you don't have economic growth or as in money growth mm. you're not buying and selling and that's not constantly increasing they don't consider it to be a thriving successful economy but that's just an action step that's not a goal what are you trying to create with that so for me really what i'm trying to create is this resource of food so that people can relax and say okay i don't have to worry about food what am I going to do now? You know, I don't have to worry about food. How can I be creative? Because now food is free. I can be, I can, I can be creative in a way that I couldn't before because mm. all we do is go to work and try to create our resources by, by going to work. When, if we just claimed back our right to the land and not have to buy back our right to life, you know, no other animal on the planet has to buy back its right to life. They can, they're allowed to live on the land and receive from the land in the way that works for them. And we're not being allowed that connection. We just, we really need to step into that and empower ourselves and say, I have a right to live. And part of that means access to land because that's where the resources are. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I want to give to humanity is this empowering notion that it's their right. It's not some privilege just for people who have more money than all of us have. And the goal would be to feed people and to create a just and safe place for, for people. And that's, what's missing in economics right now. There, there's no goal. It's just, Let's just make more money. Let's just buy more, sell more resources. And when you do that, it just takes from the land until she doesn't have anything left. And when you change the goal to everything being just and everybody, which includes not just people, but all the other living things that are part of the earth, then you have a nice, healthy balance. And then everybody has enough. Yeah. So 
that's that's my vision of this farm as being the example of how to live in harmony and how to create a goal for humanity that allows us to stop being so enslaved to our jobs and to this system that it, it doesn't care about us. It just wants to, it, it wants to receive from us and, and it doesn't really want to receive from us. It wants to take from us. It just, it takes. Yeah. So this is about, this is about shifting out of that so that we can enjoy, you know, just being here and being human. So you're talking about having maybe five or six other people on this property. Do you have any thoughts on, um, you know, how it would function in terms of like living in community? Do you see uh, a, a number of small cabins where people have their own individual space or like a community kitchen type area or, you know, how would you, how would you uh, set it up socially? You know, it depends on what people want. However, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're asking how I see it. Yeah. Um, I, I actually see both types of things. It, so some people may want to live in closer community with others. Uh, I need, personally, I need space. Yeah. Um, I, need, uh, my, I need my solitude, but I also I need connection. And I would love to have an outdoor community kitchen. And we can all go there to meet there and cook and eat together in the evenings if you want. I know I would. So that would be, that would be a goal. And we would make it out of natural earth things, cob, it would be made from cob. And I also envision some tiny homes uh, or some things like airstreams for individual people that just need a a smaller space. Mm -hmm. And no matter what, there has to be for me, there has to be um, an indoor kitchen too. Um, there has to be a library, a big library. I have a lot of books, and um, I, I love my books. So they need their own space, and I could see there being um, a, a, a homestead, a larger home with the little tiny homes around it. And maybe, uh, like for people with families, maybe a few other homes where they have two and three bedrooms. Are there um, are there dwellings on the property that you're looking at now? The one that I'm looking at has a house and it has an apartment in the barn. Okay. Um, I'm also uh, I've been looking at another one that's actually more of a ranch style place that it has a main home a manager's house and then a worker's quarters. So that would, that would be enough room to start me off with this five or six people that are going to be there. And the first year there is all going to be about observation. So there doesn't have to be a lot of, of uh, people to do physical activities that need to be done. First, it's like, Let's watch it. Let's decide what is going to go where, and then we will begin. And if something needs to be healed, if there's some soil that needs to be healed, then we could do that. Mm-hmm. I would love to. Uh, I would love to have that start for this rainy season. So, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> 
And that one place with the three homes, it has enough room to add tiny homes or airstreams and expand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. I, you know, I've always thought about that too, like having a big, you know, maybe some kind of central location where people could gather, but definitely nice to have your own privacy. So. Yeah, it is. I definitely, I I need both things. And I imagine it's probably like that for most people. Mm -hmm. I would love for the, the outdoor kitchen space to also be the ritual gathering place where we can sit in circle and enjoy together music or ceremony whatever it is we decide to do with it yeah 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 and it was uh it was challenging in my experience to make to to learn how to make uh communal choices together um just being able to listen to what everybody was thinking and then having conversations about how to move forward without stepping on people's toes um it's a challenging it's a change in lifestyle for so many of us who aren't used to to living uh, that close with other people um, I mean, it's definitely a worthy cause, but um, it takes some thinking and uh, some patience and and uh, some compassion to be able to go through uh, with that kind of decision-making process in a group. Yeah, I agree. And I know from my experience of running a business that has uh, eight employees, I spent, I can spend a lot of time being the human resources manager there. And I have, I've learned a lot of things around um, like nonviolent communication. If anybody's familiar with the works of Byron Katie, I love her too. She has put out some uh, really great information on how to not take things personally. I've even said, Hey, look, here's the four agreements, (laughs) you know, Uh Don't don't take things personally. Not so. Not taking things personally is is a is a big deal, and always doing your best. And uh, another philosophy that I really love too is this fifty one fifty philosophy of Larry Santoyo, one of our in our, the permaculture world, one of our 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 big peeps. Uh, he's really made a big difference uh, in California. And his his 50 to 150 uh, theory is it takes between 50 and 150 people together to create everything that you need in a community. Hmm. And the idea is you don't all have to like each other, but you all have to have the same goal and respect for each other. So uh, I really love that philosophy because it's, it can be really hard to get between 50 and 150 people to all like each other. But if everybody understands what the goal is, and if everybody understands what sovereignty really is, sovereignty isn't just freedom and liberation. You know, that's why, you know, the 60s didn't work. Uh, Sovereignty includes personal responsibility, responsibility to your own self and allowing others to be responsible for themselves and responsibility to the earth and responsibility to uh, what you need to do to make your resources happen. you can't just wave a magic wand and, and have it have it work. Mm-hmm. People have to understand personal responsibility, and those are going to have to be the kind of people that work with me, because I I can't uh, and nobody can nobody can t- control. I'm thinking about thirty people on my place, but the fifty to one fifty theory means I have to connect up with other farms that then would fill that in. And 
getting that many people to agree or get along uh, isn't really something that I want to spend a lot of time doing. So people will have to pass a certain sort of sovereignty test with me in order to be part of this. But anybody can come and and um, take the workshop and create their their food where they are and be part of the food network mm-hmm. and receive free food. You don't have to necessarily be this inner circle type of person. Yeah, I mean, that's cool, um, you know, because it is so challenging to work that closely with, with, with uh, you know, 10 or 20 or more people for sure. But uh, but just the idea of kind of having the workshops and then spreading the word and people can participate at, at one level or another. Um, and yes, maybe doing a little bit of vetting to make sure that some personalities, I mean, if you're not willing to work with the group, it's it can become toxic. It's not even worth uh, the struggle in that case. <laughs> But there's, you know, this actually makes me think about this point. Our conversation um, made me think about how working on the land and living in this way actually does help you to heal. I mean, the words that I came up with were heal the land and heal yourself. Because if you're working with the land and you're caring about the land and living in this close connection, maybe that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the uh, of the talk where you're talking about, um, you know, like closing the circuit with grounding and healing the earth. Um, and then people who live in community and who are working every day, growing their own food in this way, uh, will actually end up healing themselves. I think on a lot of levels, I mean, for one, just getting all the toxins out of your system. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, You know, absolutely. And that's definitely one of my goals. Um, if you look at the way we're treating the planet, it's because humanity isn't whole. You know, humanity doesn't understand what it means to be connected to the earth. And they don't understand the earth as a living organism. Um, and I've, I even uh, remember the words of one of my teachers from permaculture. He's a tree specialist. His name is Lee Klinger. And he talked about climate change or global warming, however you want to call it, and all of the predictions of where we were going to be 20 years ago. And, and those things didn't come to fruition. And, uh, and they were used as reasons to say, okay, this isn't, this isn't real. Like, there isn't anything about the climate that's shifting and, and we won't go into how that, that hat that's been happening, but I mean, there are some things that are shifting. We have more drastic weather, but back then there wasn't. And his point was, what makes do you think that the earth isn't also in charge of what happens to her? So you know, the earth is a living organism. And if we looked at her as a living organism, she was doing the things that she needed to do to maintain health for as long as she could. And now we're reaching a point where we have all this, this crazy weather. And regardless of where you think it's coming from or how it's happening, I believe that if enough of us shift into treating her in a different way, we can mitigate all those things. Sure. 
Sure. I mean, I think if we can figure out a lifestyle that lives in harmony with the planet, then the planet's going to be able to do a, a much better job of cleaning herself up from the all the damage that's being done right now. I mean, you just mentioned Fukushima that's been going on. Well, you mentioned it uh, 20 minutes ago or so, but the radiation from Fukushima that's still happening after all of these years, people don't even think about it. And, and I don't think we realize how toxic the environment is continuing to get until we start to make some of these lifestyle changes that can help bring things back into balance. Yeah. And I, just to sort of close up what my thought was on that, I realized I didn't finish um, mm -hmm. the, you know, the baggage that humanity collectively carries. Um, if we change, if we change that, if we help humanity heal, then then we will collectively stop treating the planet the way we have been because we'll see that, that she's here for us. She, uh, we're not here to be in charge of her. She's, she's here for us and she wants to be here for us and she wants to help us. She wants to give us what we need. Uh, we just aren't really connected to that in a healthy way. So humanity's broken and there are certain parts of humanity you know, the, um, the the tribal parts of humanity that still exist throughout the planet where they still understand that connection. But for the most part, uh, so much of humanity is is broken and living in a way that doesn't allow them to see how they could feel better. So it's, it moves in a circle. If humanity heals, the planet heals. If the planet heals, humanity heals. Mm -hmm. And what about energy independence? Are you trying to be uh, off the grid with this project completely, including uh, electricity generation? Yes. And honestly, I don't know how that's going to work yet. However, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things that I've been researching, but I, I want to play around with this. Uh, I want to actually rediscover what Tesla was doing. I want to work with the sure. energy. I want to work with toroidal energy and it should be easy. That's the thing that people don't understand. It should be simple. I got, so I'm not into solar panels. So I'm into earth as your battery and without extracting metals and creating, you know, horrible scars on the planet. And then of course, creating large quantities of, of heavy metals that then we have to find a way to dispose of them. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that there's a way to, to create that uh, access to the vortex energy and the toroidal energy that is a source of energy for us to utilize. But, you know, already there are people that are, building giant compost piles and using that for their heat source. I mean, really giant compost piles, mm -hmm. you know, like 20 by 20 compost piles, and then they let them slow compost. And then you can use that to heat a building during the entire winter season. Yeah, that's or crazy. You can coil a hose through it and then you have hot water for a shower, yeah. things like that. All those things, those things are easy, but, uh, there's a part of me that wants to rediscover the magic that Tesla was onto. Right. And uh, I want to get out there. I have some thoughts on, on how to tap into that. Um, 
but honestly, they've come to me in like meditations. So I don't have any proof. I would have to start to experiment. Yeah, it's pretty amazing at at how many different ways you can harvest energy from the world around you. I was just uh, watching the the new Thrive Two documentary that came out. Where you've been telling uh, me to watch that. <laughs> yeah, they're. I mean, they're definitely interested in this uh, in this idea, and they talked about it quite a bit. And they had um, one uh, actual electrical generation technique that was harvesting uh, radio frequencies from the earth. And then mm-hmm. transforming that into electricity, which was a new uh, a new idea that I had never heard of. And they tested the machine, and it was making more energy than it was using. You know, it was it was doing a great job. So even even Foster Gamble was kind of shocked and surprised. Um, but it's pretty amazing the technologies that are out there. If if we're allowed the freedom to be able to explore them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think unfortunately we start stepping on the oil guys' toes, and then. There's a lot of a lot of barriers to entry into those. <laughs> there are, but if we do it, if we do it on a smaller scale at first, and then show everybody how yeah. to how to apply that at home, then we can just start to separate from everything. I I look at this as a step by step process in disengaging from an unhealthy system, and I know my way of doing it is around food because that's that's what I know, you know, that's, that's my background is in how to make that happen. And if I can find somebody who knows how to tap into that, the the earth's energy, the way I just feel like it can be done in a way that creates abundant energy. uh, You know, I'm open to finding that person. I don't have to learn everything all on my own, although I'm super curious. So I just keep reading. I've read a whole bunch of Tesla stuff already, and um, I'm still trying to figure out uh, his language. <laughs> yeah, so, right. That old language, it can be hard to follow. <laughs> well, cool. Um, I like it. I, I was uh, reading on your GoFundMe page, um, and you were talking about the first farm as sort of being the mothership. You envision that this idea can grow uh, a just beyond the one single farm into a network. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's my ultimate goal is to create a network of farms and uh, have everybody then be able to trade the food. So mm-hmm. um, again, it's how can I teach others how to do what uh, they can with the land where they are, help them understand what their land has to offer, and then go and do it and find their own set of 20 or 30 people that can help them and start creating it where they are. And I envision this first because of where I am in San Luis Obispo County here uh, is, is dealing with my region. And uh, it's a good place to do it. There are already, there's already a lot of local food here. And there are farmers here that might want to be part of this network. Now, I'm not saying that I want to take away their income, but maybe it might offer them another way for income. I I could see there being another way for income to happen when we all connect. Mm -hmm. And creating this web of, of food hubs where we have local safety, local food safety. And then having that spread so that this little hub here, San Luis Obispo County, then 
we can go down to Santa Barbara County and we can do it there. And then we can go over to Stanislaus County and do it there. I would love to, you know, save the valley from what it's going through. And it's all about, um, how do they call that? It's, uh, uh, decentralizing. So right. decentralizing food, the more diverse everything is, the more stable it is. And then when you create more diversity, the planet is healthier. We can stop having crazy weather. I mean, that's symptomatic of, of not having the diversity that it needs. Um, even the, you know, the viruses that are going around are a symptom of not having the right diversity. So it's just the planet responding to being in a crisis. So, and we are, we are in crisis, you know, humanity is in crisis because our food isn't healthy. We're not getting our amino acids. We don't have our immune systems intact because we're eating dead food and our soil is dead. So we need our gut microbiome replaced you know, everything is connected and I want those farms to be connected. I want us to be connected as a community of, of people who don't need to rely on uh, these outside systems in order to exist. And as that begins to happen, the rest of humanity that just doesn't see what's going on yet, they might. They might begin to see, oh, I like the way you're living. You, you, you seem so much freer. You seem like you have mm-hmm. time to explore your creativity. Oh, you are an artist now, and and uh, instead of, I mean, that's what I'd like to be. If I could just like live, I'd go be an artist in Bali. So, but that's not that's not my purpose. Maybe um, you know, if I live long enough, <laughs> um, that'll happen. But it's it could it could wake them up you know show them a, a way that is actually easier than what they're doing yeah for sure yeah i mean it just even just thinking about it for me just makes me feel like i can breathe you know just thinking about it and knowing that it could be created and it, if i can envision it i can make it happen yeah, I don't think most people really realize the high stress they're under, you know, just making that commute every day and going to work and dealing on the job and then coming home and dealing with the house and what yeah, you know, I know. everyday rigmarole takes a toll on so many people, but they don't even know it. They're so used to it that, you know, put them out on a farm where things are running smoothly. They don't have to worry about paying the rent or paying for food. Um and all of a sudden, it's just like the weight comes off and, and they're allowed to de-stress and, and learn uh, how life could be, you know, in a, in a different paradigm, right? So. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And after the day I had today with my work, uh, it was a horrible day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a horrible day. Uh, it's better now. <laughs> right. But, um, it, it's, you know, who wants that? Right. I, I don't want to keep doing that. And I don't want anybody else to have to do that. That we just shouldn't be living like that. It's no fun. Yeah. Well, um, you know, best wishes to the project, and uh, really hope it works out for you. Do you want to tell people the the name of the GoFundMe is the Activated Earth Free Food Movement, right? Yeah, and and people can. 
So if you have any any kind of final statements or if you just want to let people know where they can find out more or give to the GoFundMe um, campaign um, or or where maybe they could send an email if they want to find out uh, more about and yes. maybe participate so in the project. Would, if they would like to send me an email, they can send it to theactivatedearth at gmail.com. And, and I know I saw you, uh, you checked out my Soil Harmonics page and, you know, that page is still there, but I, I call what I do the activated earth now uh -huh. because what I want to do is activate the earth. Soil Harmonics was a little too narrow of a focus. So it's, it's, I am a soil scientist, so it is my first love. Um, but I wanted to, I want people to understand that I, I'm the activated earth and, and I have a, a group. I have a Facebook group called activated earth codes. It's a public group. Uh, you don't have to join it to see what's posted there. You can just go search on it and see everything that's there. And I talk about the hidden science. I talk more about spirituality. I talk more about actually doing energy work with the earth uh, inside that group. And uh, ultimately it matters to me to connect to other people that this speaks to. So I want to talk to everybody who has any interest. And right now I'm saying yes to anybody who says, I really think you should connect with this person. So I'm, I'm saying yes to those things. It may take me a while to get around to all of them. However, I I am saying yes to all of that because I I can now I can't I can't turn back now. Now that I'm doing this, it's just it's taken over, you know, my mm -hmm. uh, my life in a way. So that's mostly what I want to convey is for me this is about it's about reconnecting with my tribe and helping them and being helped. Is the Facebook base, uh, page the best place to get in touch with you, or is there uh, an email? And you don't have a website up yet, just the Soil Harmonics site. Oh, did I, uh, didn't I? Did I say the email? So it's theactivatedearth at gmail dot okay. com. Okay. Yeah, great. I got it. And then my people can contact me. My personal Facebook page is also public. You know, people can just look for Amanda Smith. Uh, there might be a lot of us out there, but I have a picture up right now, me with my grandson. So, um, and, and then the activated earth codes, uh, people are totally welcome to go and take a look at the soil harmonics, uh, Facebook page also. And, uh, definitely the activated earth at gmail.com. Uh, to send me an email and we can connect and I'll give you a call and we'll talk and see, you know, what we can do for each other. All right. Well, that sounds great. Amanda, thanks for coming on the show and explaining this to us. I hope we can get the word out and, uh, and help with the project here. And I know, like I said, this is becoming uh, a more and more popular idea as uh, this whole coronavirus thing seems to move forward. A lot of people are ready to drop out now. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know, right? Me too. Me too. So well, thank you so much for having me here today. This has been really fun and I'm just, I feel so much gratitude. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for coming on the show. So, um, I guess we'll just uh, let you go, let the audience know that they they uh, can uh, check out the email or the Facebook page and get in touch with Amanda if they're interested in this project. And uh, um, 
please uh, like and share this podcast if you're listening to us because we depend on listeners like you to spread the word. The third-party platforms aren't really doing it. So the more that our listeners share, the the more widespread uh, this gets out to everybody. So uh, thanks for coming on the show and thanks for everybody who's listening. We'll see you next week with another uh, roundtable discussion. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was my conversation with Amanda Smith. Um, She's really trying to put together this whole uh, intentional community, and I certainly don't blame her. I've heard of so many people wanting to do this right now, and uh, I mean, the time is nigh, right? I mean, we don't have any idea what the next six months are going to bring. I'm starting to get the feeling more and more that... um, the vaccinations, the COVID vaccinations are coming. And if you don't get the COVID vaccinations, it may very well be that you're going to be uh, locked out of uh, potentially your bank account, getting jobs, traveling. We're already hearing stories about the COVID pass. Um, Just so many, so many bits and pieces of information coming out of places like the World Economic Forum, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where we're really seeing that this great, great reset, as they call it, is coming. And um, if you don't want to participate, then you're going to have to have another option because if you can't go to the grocery store, if you can't get into your bank account, if you can't use uh, the money that you've been saving, that currency, the United States dollar, because you don't have uh, the COVID vaccination and you're not participating in the system, uh, it's highly likely they'll just lock you out and you're going to have to figure out how to take care of yourself in a completely different way. And it, the more and more things are, are looking this way, the more and more people are looking to opt out. I actually uh, read an article from the World Economic Forum uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I reposted it, retweeted it today. Uh, and it was describing what life is going to be like in 10 years, saying, hey, we live in poverty and we have no privacy and we just love it so much. And it described the scenario exactly that um, most people are going to get their vaccinations, get their COVID passes, move into the cities, live in the stack and packs, you know, look up Agenda 21 or Agenda 2030 for descriptions of what life is going to be like. Um And then it even went so far as to mention, well, there were those who didn't join us in our beautiful utopian city life, and they live out in the wilderness in the country, and they just take care of themselves. Um, And I almost think that this is the direction that things are coming in. It reminds me so much of Aldous Huxley's A Brave New World, where you had the majority of people living in the city, but you kind of heard about these people living in the reservations, as he called them, uh, outside the city, that occasionally uh, people in the upper echelons of of the city life could go visit uh, the barbarians that lived on the reservation and lived separate from this, uh, this government corporate complex that had developed that was the Brave New World. And so if you choose to opt out, (laughs) maybe the reservation is going to be the place for you. And a lot of people are looking into this now. I've heard of multiple groups at this point uh, really trying to get into this whole notion of living intentionally in community, sustainably, uh, manufacturing their own energy sources and and growing their own food. Uh, And it's certainly um, a lofty goal and something that's worth um, learning about. My wife and I had an experience in Colorado. It's been... Uh, 15 years ago now, uh, where we lived uh, on an intentional community, and we did the whole biodynamic farming thing, and we sold um, sold the produce at the farmers markets, and and, and did the whole thing. And it was, uh, you know, we had goats, we made goat cheese. Um, 
it was a powerful experience and it showed that actually that we had a lot to learn <laughs> uh, and it was also a fair amount of hard work so um, I think uh, I think it's been a long time since we've lived in that kind of a tribal community there's actually a lot of uh, like nonviolent communication conflict resolution work that needs to be done um, but in the end it's worth it like Amanda was describing that uh, you end up with a lifestyle that's really connected to the land. You're not so distracted by what's going on on the TV, what's going on on the news, uh, and you're not dependent on the government or the corporate system uh, for your life or for your sustenance. Uh, and it really does change you at a fundamental level to know that you can have that kind of freedom and that kind of independence. So more power to her. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, if you want to find out more information about her, remember you can go check it out at The Activated Earth on Facebook. And if you're interested in the project or if you just want to find out some more information, you can also get in touch with her directly at theactivatedearth at gmail.com. Uh, I have been your host. My name is Doug McKinty. You can find my show, The Shift with Doug McKinty, on Facebook and YouTube. I am at McKinty on Twitter. And uh, I am at www.theshiftnow.com on the web. This episode has been produced by Transparent Media Truth and producer Rob Rubin. I'd like to thank him for putting this together. Find out more about Transparent Media Truth at the Transparent Media Truth YouTube channel, transparentmediatruth.com on the web, and transparentmed1 on Twitter where you can get in touch with Rob directly too. So uh, I want to thank you all for listening, and remember to click on those like and share buttons in this world of shadow banning and media censorship, which we're hearing more and more about all the time these days. Uh, we rely more on people like you, listeners like you, to share this episode far and wide uh, so that people can get this information out and we can actually get some distribution for uh, these podcasts that we produce. So thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you all on the flip side. Maybe we'll uh, catch you on the reservation here in a couple of months. All right, take care. The opinions and ideas expressed in this roundtable discussion do not necessarily reflect the views of Transparent Media Truth, but only those of the speakers participating in the discussion. Under the Copyright Disclaimer within Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowances are made for fair use of public content for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use.